Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, we are continuing to study the Gospel of John. This will be part 8. We'll finish chapter 4 and go through a good piece of, of chapter 5 today. And, and, and those of you that are joining us for the first time, uh, we are going through the Gospel of John at the pace uh, that God kind of lays out before us. In the past, when we've done chapters of the Bible, we tried to get into chapter every single Bible study, and we just don't think that we want to go at that pace again. Uh, so we're going to go a little slower with the Gospel of John, and we're going to stay in the Gospel of John until we're finished with the Gospel of John. Uh, looking back on last week, I do need to make a correction, and I apologize. Uh, I always want to admit the mistakes uh, when I make them. I even was asked about it after uh, the Bible study last Wednesday, and it's, it gets a little hectic here after it's over, and I really didn't understand and he's not here today, but one of our brothers was asking me, as I'd mentioned last week, that the woman at the well, uh, and I had written down 6 p.m. Uh, local time, and I had people come up and say, hey, I thought I've always heard that she was out there at noon. And I had both of those written down. The 6 p.m. actually comes, believe it or not, uh, from, there were some commentaries that say that, the, that John doesn't write uh, on a timeline of the Hebrews, the way they saw time. He was actually writing the way the Romans set up time. So some of the commentaries said if it's on Roman time, which would have been uh, in that area, it would have been 6 p.m. If it was on the Hebrew timeline, it would have been at noon. And most commentaries believe that noon is correct, not 6 p.m. And I meant to mention both of those. And so when I was asked about it afterwards, I looked down and I, saw I had 6 p.m. written there, but I was going to explain those two. And I did. And that's a minor point. Uh, but And hopefully that wasn't all you took away from last week. There were so much bigger things there. Uh, but, um, but no, that, but that is accurate. Most of the, the commentaries that we would probably give the most weight to, every now and then I try to be sharp, as Greg was saying, give you some of the outlying commentaries, I guess, to really try to be sharp. But So that one kind of backfired on me last week, so I apologize for that. And I also mentioned the Torah, which is the, the books of the law, and then start talking about the prophets. So I had those out of whack last week too, so I apologize for that. Uh, but anyway, I still think there were some great takeaways, and hopefully you got more than those two points. And on the others, you can learn when Rick is teaching to go, but I know what he means. All right, so if you have your Bible today, let's go to John chapter 4. Uh, I will tell you, Man Church for Shades Mountain Baptist Church is coming up this Sunday night. If you're going to be in Birmingham or you are watching this or listening to this and and you're in the Birmingham area, or if you're part of our church, don't forget that Kevin Ham is coming to address us. Uh, we'll also have a testimony that we'll hear from Brian Gill as well, our new director. Uh, Brent Jones, uh, who, who served us for four years, stepped down uh, to spend more time with his children and his wife, which he needed to do and did the right thing. And now, as it should be, another man has stepped up, Brian Gill. And, of course, Brian and Andy Blanks and I have written the How to Be a Man devotionals. There's two of those out. One of them is The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. And the latest one that Brian Gill wrote with Andy Blanks, and I wrote the forward, is looking at eight men of the Bible and spending five days on each one of those. Also coming soon, uh, there'll be a hub for, for discipleship called themanchurch.com. Uh, that is not ready yet, but I'll let you know when it is. So those are the things, a little housekeeping we've got here. Let's open up in a word of prayer, and we'll jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the men that have uh, found their way here. Uh, Lord, uh, praying for those that had conflicts today that are normally here that could not be here today. I pray, Lord, that uh, when they get their chance to hear this or watch this, that uh, you'll speak to them with the, the things that you want to deal with them in their individual life today. We pray for those that may be joining us for the first time, either in the room or on our YouTube channel or listening to our podcast, uh, however they're hearing this today, Lord. I pray that all of us, as we open your word, that you'll refine us and continue to make us into the people that only you can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, let's go to chapter 4. And last week we talked about, and, and really took a lot away from, the, from that, we talked about the woman at the well. Uh, now, before we finish chapter 4, we're going to talk about Jesus healing an official's son. So let's kind of talk about what's going on uh, right now. We're, we're back in Cana. Jesus has made his way there. Now, what all, what's, what's, what's uh, important about Cana? This is where what? The first miracle, the wedding had taken place. Uh, there, there are some of the, uh, the theories and commentary because we had the, the wedding miracle. We had the turning over of the temple tables uh, for the first time. All this has been happening in Cana. So when Jesus came back this time, can you imagine? There's a little murmur going on now because people have been talking about something that happened at the wedding. People said, hey, he went and turn, started turning the temple tables over. So part of this as we walk through this, you're going to see 
You're going to see Jesus right out of the gate interacting with an individual, but I want you to have in your mind that as he's doing this, there's a crowd of people that are forming every time Jesus shows up now. So he's going to be speaking, uh, which looks like he's just talking to this official. He's also speaking to the crowd as well. So, so we'll jump into that. And um, he's, he's, he's got also a man that's there that we will talk about that's from Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is on the, the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee, and I was fortunate enough to go to Capernaum uh, and actually be at this part of the Sea of Galilee in 2009, and I will never forget it. it if, you, if you go to Capernaum, it, it, it's, a, it's a region there where you can walk up on part of the Sea of Galilee. And the beautiful thing about the Sea of Galilee, for those of us that are from where I'm from, it's not an overly impressive body of water. You know, we're from, I mean, if you said that Jesus did miracles at Lake Martin, you may not be anywhere near where it happened. But the Sea of Galilee is small enough that when you're standing on those shores and all these things that Jesus did, you're, you're in a pretty small area. So you're, you're, in, you're in the go zone. Uh, and it was really, really uh, an incredible experience. If you ever get a chance to go to this special place that means so much to God, I would encourage everyone to go. And don't ever wait for a time when they give you a green level of, of safety because then you'll never get to go to Israel. You just have to go ahead and go. Uh, but anyway, so we think that this man that Jesus is going to encounter here most likely is an officer in the royal palace uh, of Herod. Uh, now, now, this is Herod Antipas. You remember, there's, this, is not, this is the son of Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great, of course, was the one who wanted to have all the babies killed and brought the wise men in. And this is one of his sons. Now, this is the son, when we, we, we go deeper throughout uh, the, the, the Gospel of John, this is the Herod who killed John the Baptist. Uh, and had him beheaded. He's also the Herod, you know, when Jesus is going to the cross and he comes before Herod and Herod wants him to, to do some miracles. Herod was kind of fascinated with him, but he wanted to see a show. He wanted him to do a miracle. He wanted to show him a sign and Jesus would not speak to him. This is the Herod that we are talking about. So we think this royal officer may have also told Herod about the miracle that is about to take place, which might, which might lead to why Herod was so obsessed with wanting to see a miracle from Jesus when he will later come before him. And, and, and this could be why he was always talking about signs and wonders when he saw Jesus. So, so this, this, let's look at this story, and we'll unpack this a little bit here. So it, this is in chapter 4, verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, and we explain where that is, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. We do believe that was an official in the palace of Herod Antipas. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, I want to, let's clarify this. We know that this official thinks Jesus can do it. So that means he's aware of what Jesus has already done. Because now Jesus' popularity is starting to really churn. So he wouldn't come to Jesus unless he had some belief, and we'll see in a minute, Jesus confirms this, that Jesus could actually do it. So I want you to understand, he's not necessarily saying just to this individual, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. He's really addressing the crowd. There's a crowd around him, and Jesus knows the heart of every man, as we've already covered. And so what Jesus realizes is these crowds are really not building because Messiah has come. They're not building because salvation is here. In general, they're building because of signs and wonders. And he knows that when this guy's asked this, that all of them are going, here we go again. Uh, let, let, let's, let's see what we can see, which may be one of the reasons Jesus heals the son the way he does. You know, if you notice, Jesus doesn't let everybody follow him to the man's house so they can see this child that's about to die suddenly be healed. He says, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, to your, go your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke. Underline that. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said, yesterday uh, at the seventh hour, 
the fever left him, the father knew that was the very hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So keep in mind, remember we talked about this when we started, John likes to use the word sign. He doesn't like to use the word miracle because he knows that Jesus has been talking on and on it can't become about miracles. It has to become about signs. And what are signs? Signs means I'm doing this mainly to prove that I am who I say I am. Because is it true that Jesus could have healed every single person that was sick? Yes. Did he heal every single person that was sick? No. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in this next miracle coming up, he makes a comment about this individual that's going to kind of probably kick us back just a little bit, and we'll unpack that. And, and, and you know, that's me, once again, like I'm going to the break, saying when we come back, we'll do a miracle that has a comment that you won't believe. Uh, but anyway, so we know what? We know that, that what, what actually healed this child? Because he just said to the crowd, unless I give you signs and wonders, you won't believe. Now, first of all, we have to understand that that is being preached from Jesus, God as a man, to us as well, which means what? We shouldn't have the kind of belief system that's based on, well, if Jesus will do me a miracle, if he'll do me a sign, then I'll believe. And what is one of the reasons we need to be really careful about that? Because Satan can do them too. Don't ever miss that. Because we know for a fact that in the story of Job, that when Satan was given his leeway and he went to kill Job's children, he killed them with weather. And so undoubtedly, Satan has some sort of access to, to destructive weather because that's how he killed uh, Job's sons. So be very careful. That's the reason why you've got to be careful with these people that roll up in these fortune tellers and they, they, rose up into these, they go up into these mystics, into these, into these healers. You've got to be very careful about all that because just because you've seen a sign and a wonder does not necessarily mean that's of God. And, and you see this throughout Scripture. So Jesus is saying, I'm doing these right now to show you my authority over you know, sickness. We see that he'll, he'll, he'll calm the seas. We know all these things. I'm doing this to show you. And I'm also, though, making a point that really this man's son was healed and his child was healed because Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew his heart. Something about this official, he knew enough about Jesus, if, look, look at, look at uh, verse, verse 50. Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He believed, and then look at the end right here, 54. This was now, the, I'm sorry, uh, 53. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed and all his household. So John is documenting this official recognized Jesus for who he was, believed that Jesus could do what Jesus did, but he ultimately believed it could be done because he now believes that Jesus is God, just like he said he was. And he believed it so much that his family began to celebrate that what the, now the dad had encountered, and this is another one of those signs about men's ministry. Hey, dad gets it right, and guess what happens? The whole household goes with him. Amen. You know, we talk about this research over and over again. Of course, what we're doing about it is always somewhat frustrating. Uh, but we're seeing some pockets of something changing, and, and it's certainly changing here, and it's going to continue to change. But this is, once again, another commentary on as daddy goes, so goes the household. And, and so, so we move into to chapter 5. So look at chapter 5, and, and this is where we're going we're gonna, to get a little deep now we get into 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and, Jew, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, we, we don't really know, and, and I'm kind of learning from last week when I tried to be sharp, uh, we don't really know what feast that, that he's talking about. John doesn't specify which feast this is. People have theorized it could be the second Passover, which would kind of show you where we are in Jesus' ministry. Some say, no, it was the Feast of the Tabernacles. And then there's other commentaries that may say others. It's not important. But let me tell you what is, what is important about it, that it's in here because it's showing that Jesus, because especially what we're about to talk about in 5, Jesus keeps the Jewish traditions and customs, uh, you remember what he said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. But here he is, that 100% man side, and he is keeping the Jewish traditions and going to the, to the festivals and to the feast. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic, that means called uh, Bethesda, 
okay, Bethesda, which had five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of uh, invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, is anybody noticing? Raise your hand if you have anything other than the King James Version of the Bible. Do y'all notice that we're skipping from verse 3 to verse 5? Y'all see that? Four is gone. So, so let's go ahead and, and let's deal with that. Now, the King James Version has four in it. Uh, the, the English Standard, the NIV, and some of the m ones that are more recent do not. Uh, if you look, you'll see a little note at the bottom. And uh, when it says why we do not have that, it says because uh, it says some manuscripts insert wholly or in part, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down of certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever, whatever disease they had. The later interpretations of the Bible take it out. And, and we're not, we'll try not to land here. I know this stuff's intriguing. We like it, but we really need to get to the bigger points. But I'll tell you why. When, you, when, 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 they, when the scribes would come in and they would begin, what would happen? Let's say this letter here from John. It would go to a certain church. And the church would get out and say, John, inspired by God, has written this. But they want to make copies of it so everybody else can have it too. Well, the scribes would begin to make copies. And then scribes would make copies. Then more scribes would make copies. And as they went forward, that's how we ended up. Well, what we've discovered as we started finding more recent scribes that had written, that's where the ESV comes from, the NIV. These are actually, I know the email's coming, and I'm going to it right on the speedy. I don't want to get it to war with you King James people, okay? But I'm just telling you that as we move forward and we discovered more manuscripts that were more recent, there were adjustments that were made because the scribes made these adjustments. And they started noticing that verse 4 started being left out as they went forward because what the scribes had determined is that a scribe had added that because they knew that was the, 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 the folklore of this pool and they were throwing it in there, but the scribes going forward said, wait a minute, we're looking at John's style of writing. We do not think John mentioned this about some angel coming in and stirring the pools. We do not think that should be attributed to John. We think a scribe added that to inform us of the folklore of the, of the whatever minerals or whatever was churning up into these springs. We do not believe that's God inspired to say an angel was going down there and stirring the water, so we're taking that out. And so that's why it's out. Now, it's still here in footnote, and it's certainly interesting, but I guess we'll make it okay. If, I don't think it's good or bad because that's what the people believed and why they thought it had healing properties. But the, the more recent uh, manuscripts that we found, the more recent that we've looked at, scribes began at a certain point to leave that out because they did not believe it was accurate. So I know King James people will say it's in there and it's not in the others, and y'all say that's why we shouldn't have the others, but I'm just telling you that's all there is to it. Okay, and it's not, it's not good or bad to have it or not have it, but that's why it's not there. And the later interpretations, and I would go as far as to say sometimes more accurate, uh, word for word into English than, than maybe the first run at English. And if you don't like that, you can take that up with Speedy. Uh, but anyway, so, so that's why you don't see it if you have NIV, ESV, or anything later than the King James Version. So let's go to five. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. So this man had not been able to walk for 38 years, and, and to, to take care of himself, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Interesting. You know, you've seen him do this a couple other times. Sometimes he doesn't do it. Sometimes he does. Remember the guy that hollered out to him who was blind, started hollering louder and louder and louder, and Jesus goes over to him, what does he say? What do you want me to do? Does Jesus not know what these people need? No, but what he's, and here's why with this particular, this one's a little easier to see than even some of the other ones. Do you want to be healed? And here's the answer. This is why Jesus asked this. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in, in, in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another step, uh, and while I'm going another steps in front of me and goes in before me. So here's Jesus, why Jesus asked this question. He wants to know if this man thinks he can heal him. Or does he think this water is going to heal him? And he gets his answer. Well, I, I, I'm not asking you to heal me because I don't think you can. I think this pool's going to heal me, but I'm, I'm an invalid. I can't get in there 
I've been trying for 38 years to get in, and by the time I finally start getting somebody to help me move that way, somebody beats me, and we all know the first one in there is the only one who gets healed. Now, what's interesting is there must have been some success with this pool because people were still doing it. But what was causing it to make people better, nobody really knows. And one of the legends, as we know from verse 4 being le left out, is some people said an angel came down and stirred it. But, but the later scribes didn't really think John thought that. But we don't know. But the bottom line is we do know that this man does not think Jesus can heal him because he don't know who Jesus is. And what he's saying is, I can't get in the pool. So then Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Now, this is, this is good. This will preach right here. Because you know what Jesus is saying right here? You don't need the pool. You, you don't need all this ritual stuff. You want to be healed. You want to be forgiven. You want to be redeemed. Let me tell you where all that is found. In me. I'm the one. Not some pool. Not some ritual. Not some format of prayers and doing this and doing that. I'm the one who has the power to heal you, and what do we ultimately want to be healed of? Sin. See, that, this is what Jesus is saying. He didn't say, I, I love this, Jesus didn't say, oh, well, now this pool is no good to you. Or Jesus didn't say, well, let me help you in the pool, and then for your benefit, I'll heal you, but really you, you know, we'll go through this whole ordeal. If we don't do this pool thing, I can't get it done. Jesus said to him, it's not the pool that can heal you. Jesus said to him, get up take up your bed and walk, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and he walked. What I like is that at once he was healed, and guess what? When he was healed, suddenly he's doing what Jesus said to do. And the reason why that's going to be surprising is, guess what we're about to find out? He was doing it on the, the Sabbath. He's picked something up. He's worked. That's how legalistic the whole Sabbath had become, that even picking up your bed was considered a bobo no-no, and it was considered something not to do. So we know that Jesus has already followed the Jewish tradition of the feast and the customs. This makes this very, very interesting. And we know that Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. But he's about to get in trouble for doing what? Breaking the Sabbath. Is everybody intrigued yet? This is, this is fun, isn't it? This is great. All right, so let's see where this goes. So now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, and I think this is funny. I laughed going over this again. Hey, the man who healed me, that's the man that said for me to take up my bed and walk. Hey, that's on him. I just did what he told me. Really, he broke the Sabbath. I didn't because he told me what to do, and then I did it. So he's immediately trying to, trying to blame somebody else. Why do you think in 12 they asked him, who's this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Who is this? You think they've been hearing about Jesus? Here we go again. If this guy says Jesus, here we go again. I mean, we've been hearing about this guy, and we've been hearing what's going on, and you would think that right now, if it was really about the Sabbath, they would stick with this guy because they know he broke it according to them, according to, to how burdensome they had made the Sabbath. And we're going to get to that, okay? So why did they immediately pivot off him and start asking him who told him to take up his bed and walk? Because they know this man's been there 38 years. 38 years, couldn't get to the pool, nothing could be done, and we all see him. We'll see another example of this later. Remember the man who's blind from birth? And there, because, you know, what, what, what did we find out uh, also when we had the crippled man over in Acts? Remember what they said? Everybody knew how long that guy had been out there and couldn't walk. And we couldn't deny that now he can. So they know this guy's been there 38 years. They know he's walking now. And you can see right now, we have left being concerned about the Sabbath. We want to know about this man. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Jesus had withdrawn. He, he didn't stand there and take credit for it. I don't know who it was. So they're looking for the answer, and the guy doesn't know because he said Jesus had left the area. He, he didn't stay there. The crowd started coming around. Hey, when a guy who's been an invalid for 38 years is walking around, he'll draw a crowd. 
So the crowd had come around, but Jesus had left again. Why? Because he's not trying to get people to worship the signs and, and, and the wonders. Now keep in mind, he had already, you know, the official had asked Jesus to heal his son. We know that the leper in Matthew 8, 1 through 4, write that down, 8, 1 through 4. We know that two men, blind men, Matthew 9, 27 through 31, that they told Jesus, they sought him, they sought him to be healed. All right, write that down again. The leper, 8, 1 through 4, that's Matthew. And Matthew again, the two blind men, and 9, 27 through 31, if you're writing those down. You'll find that in each of these cases, they, they sought Jesus, heal us, heal us, heal us. But Jesus initiated this conversation. This guy didn't ask Jesus to heal him. He thinks if he, he, he's tried for 38 years to get in the pool. By the way, if I can't get in the pool in 38 years, you never hear I'm still here in 38 years. The next person that can help me, we're leaving, is I can't get in this pool. That, that's a lot of patience to keep trying this for 38 years. So anyway, so but this time Jesus initiates the conversation, and the man's counting on the water, but who's standing in front of him? The living water. Right, he's looking. He's looking at this water. When the living water, as we learned with the woman at the well, is standing before him, Jesus heals him. So now let's get into the discussion about the Sabbath. We're going to unpack the Sabbath a little bit because now, now we got trouble uh, about the Sabbath. So the next line is now that day was a Sabbath. So we got that. We got taken to bed. I don't know who did it. Afterward, Jesus, after the, he'd want, he he had gone away, Jesus comes back. Now here it comes. Here comes one of those lines. Jesus found the man who he had healed in the temple and said, are you ready for this line? Hey, this red letter stuff now. See, you are well. So first of all, you're healed. And then he says what? Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Hey, change your life before something worse happens to you. Hmm. Well, now, wait a minute. We know that we have other accounts where the disciples asked Jesus specifically about a blind man. What did his family do or what did he do deserve to be blind? And Jesus said nothing. He's blind so I can be glorified. But he didn't say that to this guy. Why is this different? Undoubtedly, the circumstances are different. Jesus says to this guy, see your well. I've healed you. What he's really talking about is, I've healed your body, but you also need to be made clean of your sin, and it's time for you to repent now. You're up. You've seen who I am. Now you need to sin no more before something worse happens to you. Now, some people don't, don't want to deal with this, but the bottom line is this. I've got it in my family. I've watched it firsthand. Is it not true that sin has always mattered and has always brought calamity. Is that not true? Well, it brought calamity from the very beginning. You know, we weren't all supposed to be dying like we are now, physically. So sin does matter, and sin does bring bad things. Now, does that mean that every single thing that happens, that happened to you because of, of sin? Now we're getting into legalism. Now we're getting God playing games with you. But what we find out here, I can tell you this, that I have been redeemed of my sin, but I will tell you this, that, that the sin that I was redeemed of did cause terrible things in my life, and some of those still exist. And if I decided to turn away from redemption, if I decided, Romans 6, if I decided to say, I know I've been freed from the bondage of sin, remember we said, and I became a grace abuser, that I didn't say I not only have been freed from sin, I think I've been freed to sin, the problems that I have in my life that are tied directly to my sin, not because God's mean and unfair, directly to my choices, if I made those choices again, something worse could happen to me. Right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, look, I'm, you're, you're, you're redeemed. Now, cut it out with the sin before something, something worse happens to you. So in this particular case... We don't know why he's an invalid, but it may be tied to something he did that was sinful. There's no indication here that he was born that way, like, like, like the blind man that we see. 
So we don't know, but we know that Jesus is saying to him, and John made sure that it was in the gospel that we need to listen and say, when Jesus heals you and he redeems you of sin, don't you ever take sin lightly again because something worse may happen to you. Let's not miss this part of, 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 of this documentation today. Sin always matters. Always. I mean, and, and I, just like we've talked about, there are some people that, that had a great platform and were out there even, they can, they can memorize the Bible, they can quote the Bible, but they can't, they never have been able to quite get their sin under control. And what happens? Eventually, God destroys their platform. They lose the platform. And really, they can certainly be redeemed and certainly be restored, but it's a long haul, and most of the time, if we do it the way the Bible says to do it, because they now are no longer people that are above reproach, and usually they can never quite get back to where they were before, even though they've been redeemed, if, even if they repent. It's like the damage that it did just can never quite be repaired. It's never quite the same again. Okay, I, can see, I can speak to that in my own life. I mean, you know, we, we just sent over here, to, and I know different churches feel different ways, but we, we just sent over here, and it's not, it's not, a, it, it's fine. It's the way it should be. I'm not getting to argue that because if I didn't have the, my past sin, I wouldn't be in that situation. But our church just sent out deacon nominations again, and I can never be nominated. Now you say, Rick, you could leave, go to a different domination, whatever, but that's not the point. And it's not the point that I can never be considered to be a deacon again according to the way my church interprets the qualifications. What it's saying is sin matters. You know, if you didn't want to be in that situation, then you should have never committed the sins you committed. You've been redeemed, but there's certain things that now you're limited to what you can and can't do. And you know what? You know what Jesus says? Hey, they won't consider you as a deacon. How about this? Sin no more before you damage something worse than that. that that's really what he's saying to this man. I see that you're well. Don't abuse it. Be thankful. Live a life of thankfulness. Amen. So then the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus. Hey, now he knows. A little bit of a tattletale here. But now he knows, I hope, because he's excited, or he just wanted them to leave him alone. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But listen to this in 17. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I'm working. 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even, call, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Guys, you don't even have to look anywhere else in the Bible. Do you ever hear these people? Jesus never said he was God. What? He said it all the time. Have you ever heard these people that try to act like that Jesus never claimed he was God? Yes, he did. That's the reason why whatever he said and whatever the fathers say, they stand. Because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So let's unpack the Sabbath. Now, the original setup of the Sabbath in Scripture was for us to rest from labor and to focus on Him. Let me, let me say that again. The Sabbath was designed and given to us as a gift from God to rest from our labor and focus on Him. To take a day and set it aside to rest and, and focus on Him. Now, this is coming from a man who will be open with you. I have taken many a Sabbath, and I have rested, and I have focused on me. I haven't focused on Him. I focused on me. Now, I might get up and go to church, but there's been many days, you know, if it's not too inconvenient, but there's been many days that the Sabbath was focused completely on me. Now, we can get into the legalism of what's a Sabbath and not a Sabbath. We're talking about Sabbath, whatever day it is, that that Sabbath is a rest from labor and focus on Him. Jesus' Sabbath day act shows that Jesus is making it clear that the Jews had taken something that was a gift and they had now made it burdensome. And you know what He's saying? And He says this throughout Scripture every time He's questioned about the Sabbath. He says the Sabbath, and when we say to rest from your labor, that does not include mercy. That does not include ministry. These things do not violate any Sabbath rule. If, you, if somebody needs to be redeemed and somebody needs to be helped, that's not work. We, we don't take a day off for mercy. We don't take a day off for ministry. 
I mean, if, if, if you take a Sabbath and make it legalistic, everybody who's in vocational ministry is breaking the Sabbath. Because that they're working. But that work is, is not considered to be the kind of work because Jesus just said, my father is working until now, and I'm working. And I'm, we're going to get a little deeper on that, so hang on. The Jews had, 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 had turned this thing into a legalistic tangle of, of rules and, and, and that you had to keep and laws not to break. So there was very little refreshment. There was very little inspiration about God. They certainly had taken the joy out of it. And now the Sabbath had just become a burden. It had just become a burden. And Jesus is taking this on. If you want to, if you want to know, the, the Hebrew word sabbat is what the Sabbath comes from. And it means to cease, to rest, to cease, to rest. You've heard me use this before. When the pastor was taking a time of sabbatical and one of the members of the church said, I don't think you should go and rest because the devil never rests. And he said, yeah, but Jesus did. I'm not trying to be like the devil. I'm trying to be like Jesus. And, and yeah, yeah, that's right. The devil never rests, but God did, and so did Jesus. But, and we see this in Genesis 2, 2, uh, two through 3, if you want to write that down. Genesis 2, 2, 2 through 3. I can't say Genesis 2 and 2. That's hard to say. Somebody say it with me. Genesis 2. Verse 2 and 3, that's how I'll say it. And here's what it says. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that had been done. So, so that's what it comes from. Now you go to Exodus uh, 20. Write this down. Exodus 20. And then we're going to go verses 8 through 11. And you, you, you should be pretty familiar with this. Uh, this is from the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And then it goes on to give the list of the things that shouldn't be done. But again, Jesus is saying that, that some of the things the Jews were calling work, that he as God said, this is not work. This is not sin. Now, one of the things that gets really, really deep is Jesus did his work, God's work, of caring and healing on the Sabbath. We find this. Write these down. Matthew 12, 9 through 14, withered hand, healed on the Sabbath. That's Matthew 12, 9 through 14. John, we'll get to it later. Chapter 9, 1 through 12. This is the, blind, the man who was blind from birth. That was done on a Sabbath. Luke 13, 10 through 17, healed a woman uh, on the Sabbath. Uh, also, don't forget on Luke 14, I'm going to show you this one. Luke 14, because it's so straightforward. Luke 14, and we're going to go through uh, verse 1 through 6. Because this one is just as straightforward as you can see. Look what the first two lines on Luke 14 says. On one Sabbath, I was right out of the gate. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, and behold, now he's with a Pharisee. Don't forget this. There was a man before him who had dropsy. This is edema. This is, this is, you know, when you're having congestive heart failure and fluid has built up. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent. Then he looked at them and healed him and sent him away. And he said, which of you having a son or an ox that falls into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out, and they could not reply to these things. He's trying to show, y'all are calling things work that are not work. We don't ever stop doing ministry. I don't ever stop doing my Father's work. There is no rest for that. One way to look at it, here we go, getting a little deeper. Get a little deeper. When we go to Genesis 2, that's before the fall. God's resting because everything has been done. But after the fall, now there's redemption to do. And that's what Jesus is referring to. He said, look, once we had the fall, my father's working. My father's working on redemption. My father, and now we're not done anymore. It's not finished. So just as my father is still working on redeeming mankind, so am I. I'm about his business. My father and I are still working. We really don't take a Sabbath. Because you know what? That rest that my father started got interrupted by the fall. And now we're back at work. And we need to follow that example because a lot of times, 
we'll knock it out of gear on things that really we should be doing all under the guise of it's time to rest. Hey, when you're redeeming the world, you really don't, that, that, there's no given day where you can and can't do that. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He also, as we know, in Luke 6, 1 through 5, jot that one down. This is when the disciples are eating the heads of wheat. Remember this? They come and say, oh, not supposed to be gathering wheat and eating it. And I love this. When Jesus really says, this is, this is your C student from Calhoun County. When Jesus was asked why his disciples were eating, you know what he said? Because they're hungry. And then he brought up that David went and ate the food that was there at the altar when he and his men were starving. He said, sometimes, you know, you just got to drop all the ritual and drop all the legalism. And he said, there'll be a time that'll be different. But right now, we're working and we're hungry. So we're gathering heads of wheat and we're eating. Also, we know in Luke 4, write this down, 31 through 32, that Jesus taught on the Sabbath. Then comes the statement that kind of sums it all up. Write this down, Mark 2, 27. Mark 2, 27. Jesus finally says, can I sum up this whole thing y'all keep hounding me about, about the Sabbath? I'm going to sum this up for y'all, and I hope you can get it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. Hey, my father did not make mankind to worship some Sabbath. He offered a Sabbath to mankind for benefit. So you could have a rest, so you could stop your, your, your kind of work that is considered, I hate to say it, meaningless. But any work that is about advancing the kingdom of God, that's never over until Jesus comes back. We're going to rest, but not now. What, what does Paul keep saying? We're pressing on. Right now, we're reaching for the goal. And then what he say? Hey, I, you know what? To live is Christ. Really, to die for me would be gain because if I could just die, then I could rest. But if he's going to keep me here, then i got to keep working for the kingdom. Now, this doesn't mean we don't rest physically. That's not what I'm talking about. But we certainly don't get caught up in a bunch of legalism about the Sabbath. You know why? Because Jesus didn't. I got news for y'all. He's, he, the, the scriptures tell us what? That he is Lord over the Sabbath, just like he's Lord over everything. Jesus' acts show us that the day is holy, it's set apart, but, but, when, but, but part of it being holy and set apart is it's also a day that should include salvation and, and the preservation of humanity. We don't ever take a break from salvation and the preservation of the lost. That doesn't stop. Man turned a holy day into a crushing burden on the Jews, and it robbed them of all of its joy. I've already said that, but also its spirituality. The spiritual part of it's gone. Look, I've been to Israel, and I see how they act on the Sabbath. It's silly. I mean, they won't even push an elevator. I mean, it's just become silly. Now, they'll let a Gentile do it. I guess we don't matter. But uh, so, so this is what he's taking on. God's rest ended when sin entered the world. And now he's been redeeming people ever since. Now, let's talk about this for a minute, just, and then, then we'll get close to wrapping it up. Many people have talked about, including me, because I was a little confused about it. We do know that the original Sabbath was on what we call Saturday. But yet... When, when we started the new church, we started moving to what we called the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, not the last day of the week. And we've been doing that, not all of us, but most of us ever since. Some of our Christian brothers still say on Saturday, and if they want to do that, I certainly don't have any problem with that. But early in church history, Christians began meeting on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, for corporate worship. Now, if you want to find, which I really wanted, some scripture to support that, write these down. Acts 20, verse 7. Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. And this was interesting to me, is Revelation 1.10. I saw that one. I'm like, what are you talking about Revelation 1.10? Talking about meeting on the first day of the week. Well, I didn't realize this. When, when, when John starts talking about his vision, guess when he says he's receiving it? Look, look at Revelation 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day talking about the first day of the week, when he started to get the vision of the revelation. They moved it to the first day of the week in honor of the resurrection of Christ, and this has been custom, not with all Christian denominations, but with most. It said now, and even in the early days like we have now, that some of the early Jewish Christians 
continued to observe the Jewish Sabbath as well as participating with corporate worship on the Lord's Day, and that's certainly fine. And uh, now, today, in the Christian faith, um, it, is, um, it is considered that that is called the Lord's Day. Some people would just call it a Sabbath, even though it's Sunday, and there's certainly, I know some people may debate that, but I, I think that's a minor issue. So, so that's kind of where this came from. But are we held to the legalistic, uh, crushing uh, standard of the Sabbath? According to Christ, no. According to Christ, no. Now, now do I think that we, we should take a day and, and, and put it aside for the Lord? Of course. Out of worship, not out of legalism, but out of worship. Uh, now, my grandmother has gone on to heaven, and if she was here right now, she would come in and say, I'll tell you one thing. As long as I'm alive, you won't be doing anything on Sunday. And, uh, and there's certain, certainly nothing wrong with that, for taking time and, and putting it aside and, and making that a day that is sanctified. And, but it's for the Lord. It, it, it's, it's for us to rest, but it's also for us to reflect on Him. So if you have your Bible, this, uh, I mentioned this. We're going to mention again, Mark 2, 28. Mark 2, 28. You know, there's a lot of things that are said about the Sabbath. But Mark seems to cover it the most. And, of course, Mark was interviewing Peter for most of his gospel. So Peter is the source of a lot of uh, what you see in Mark. So in, in, in 28, uh, Jesus has been talking about what we just said. He said, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But I want to go to the second part now, 28. So the Son of Man is Lord. I like this because Mark's the only one who puts this word even in there. So the, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He, he, he's, not, he, he, he's not held to some standard about the Sabbath that's different than anything else he's Lord over. He's Lord over it all. And so I, I hope that we'll, the, the things that we'll take away today is that we certainly want to enjoy a time of rest, and we should rest. We should. You know, if nothing else, I see some of y'all come in here, and I know some of it's hard to stay awake. That's one of the reasons we need to rest, because when it comes time to unpack the Word and to, to grow and to spend time in worship, if you're too tired, you really can't do it. Anybody ever been in a, in a service when you can't keep your eyes open? How's your notes look that day? Mm. Not very good. And, and so there, there's a practical side of it for, to rest because it's good for us, but it's mainly we're resting what? For Him. So can we reflect on him and we can have the kind of clarity and energy we need to do his work. And, um, and, I, and I hope that we'll take away the finer points of this today because what's going to happen now is you're going to see Jesus as we move forward. You know, they, they already had started to persecute him a little bit, but this deal he keeps rubbing their nose in the Sabbath is really going to bring a lot of persecution to him. But, but as we said, he, he almost revels in it so he can make the point of who he is. And he's frustrating them because he's saying he'll take, like he does with us, when he takes the legalism and he turns it around and hits us with this common sense stuff like, so if one of your kids had fallen over in a ditch on the Sabbath, you wouldn't go get them out? But by legalism, you would be working, going and dragging that kid out. So... Are you, are you sinning against the Sabbath? You see what he's saying? Let's don't be silly about some of the stuff we, we come up with. Because God ultimately said, if, if, if we always talk about this, you want to go to what, what God said to us clearly anytime you have something in the Bible that confuses you. Go to where he's crystal clear and then work your way back from there. And you will find where he's crystal clear as he told us to go and he told us to make disciples and he told us to be the hands and feet of him and he turned over the responsibility for us to redeem the world and he gave us the power of the Holy Spirit to go with us. And you know, I don't think that anybody will stand before the Lord one day and the Lord will look at him and say, I really wish you had not told that lost person about me because it was the Sabbath. I mean, this is silly. So nothing supersedes his work. Really, my takeaway, and it's the verse we're going to put it on this, of all this we talked about, the two things that really hit me in this was, number one, Jesus asking the man if he wanted to be healed and let him know that this water wasn't going to do it, that he could. And then that part about, uh, I see that you're well, now sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Th those are big takeaways. But I'm going to tell you what, when you're dealing with this legalism of some of this Sabbath stuff, 
when Jesus answered them and said, my father is working until now and I'm working. Hey, when that fall happened, everything changed. God's not at rest anymore. He's working. He's working. And he, he's basically saying, i got to be about my father's business. And guess what that means to you and me? We better be about his business as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time. Thank you for this, uh, uh, this incredible message that, that, that has come from, from John. Thank you for inspiring him. And Jesus, thank you for, for allowing John to document things that you said directly to us when you, when you came off your throne and came to us because we couldn't come to you. Lord, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for our apathy. I, th- I think there's nothing, Lord, that, uh, that is more disappointing is to see people who claim to be redeemed by you, but they don't work. They're not, they're not hard workers. Uh, there's always some excuse for them to need another moment of rest. And, and there's certainly nothing wrong with rest. You have certainly given us that opportunity to rest. But when we rest especially if we're resting by taking a Sabbath, that rest is supposed to be for, for our benefit, but it's not for us to continue to, to serve us on that day. It's for us to get to know you, to be quiet and listen and pursue you. And I know, Lord, that's something that I've struggled with, is for me taking time to just stop and even stop talking and just listen to you. Speak to us, Lord. Sometimes you have to speak to us loudly. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that you've shown us. Thank you for the redemption that is found in you. Thank you for the fact that we don't have to figure out legalistically how to do some sort of rituals rituals exactly the same way some man laid out or else we can't have access to you. Thank you for just saying, I'm here. Forget the water. I'm the living water. You need to be healed. You need to be redeemed. I'll redeem you. Not rituals, not legalism, not a code of conduct. But at the same time, Lord, may we take that and not... Use that as an excuse to abuse your grace either. Your grace has empowered us to now be about your work. And we certainly have not been called to rituals and code of conduct and legalism, but we have certainly been called to obedience. And obedience, Lord, is is not based on legalism. It's not burdensome. Obedience is based on our love and appreciation and adoration of you and thankful for the grace you've shown us. And then you teach us to love you the way you loved us. And as you said, if we truly love you, we'll obey you. And then teach us to love people the way that you love them. And to never use an excuse of some sort of reason to not be about your business. And Lord, we lay this at your feet and we say thank you. And we submit to your authority completely. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a great week. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.